0: Good day. I'm Martin Webb, and welcome to the Climate Report for Thursday, November 11th, 2021. Broadcasting and podcasting here on KVMR-FM and at kvmr.org every second and fourth Thursday at 6.30 p.m. following the KVMR Evening News. You've likely already heard the basic pledges and rhetoric of the COP26 Global Climate Conference, so we're going to highlight some of the interesting tidbits With the COP26 dominating climate news for the last two weeks, it would be unreasonable to try and fit everything into a half-hour broadcast. But we're going to try. First, we'll speed-read a couple dozen headlines from the first week, and then follow that by picking out at least a few key sentences from another series of headlines from week one of COP26. And finally, we'll aim to end with some personal opinion pieces as time allows. Ready? Put on your climate helmets and go. First thing is that, according to a report, every sector is failing to move fast enough on climate. 40 different sectors, from finance to agriculture to transportation, electricity, building construction, everything needs to go two to three times as fast. Then this was billed as the Make or Break Climate Summit. You could also go to the social media page for the climate report and pick out some of these headlines and learn more. There was a link that showed exactly what was at stake at COP26. Next was a headline talking about planting a million trees. Could that help stop global heating? One that man thinks so. He's a wealthy individual from the Bay Area, retired from his Silicon Valley career, and now he's aiming to plant a trillion trees. In other news, COP26 activists were heading to Glasgow via land, sea, and one, even in a giant metal ball. That's right. It was an article talking about all the different alternative transportation ways that activists were heading to Glasgow. And one gentleman actually was staying inside of a metal ball, almost like a human hamster ball, on the way to the conference. Someone else was an insider at the World Bank, and there was a headline talking about how he decided to finally speak out. He says, working at the World Bank, I can see how it is failing humanity on the climate crisis. Finance is being given a lot of attention as the banking and lending industry continues to support fossil fuel production. Well, in another good news headline on that same note, the European Investment Bank last week has decided to end all loans to oil and gas firms. The European Investment Bank has said that they'll not only just stop lending for fossil fuel projects, they have said that even if an oil and gas firm wanted to borrow money for a green project, an oil company wanted to do a wind farm, the European Investment Bank says, no, we will loan no money to any company that is actively producing fossil fuels no matter what you want to do with the money. In other headlines, as uh, you likely heard, China waited until the last minute to announce what their new climate plan would be, and it falls falls short of the global warming goals, according to experts. You can read about that online plenty. Well, then there was also a lot of talk. Uh, there was a headline on COP26 about what would success from the conference look like for a country that is vanishing Underwater, One of the great guerrilla marketing tactics of the conference was a Pacific Island nation uh, said that they were videotaping um, their speaker from what it would look like in the future. He was standing knee deep, wearing a business suit at a podium, standing knee deep in water to address the climate conference showing what it would be like. Reports are that the first islands are likely to begin disappearing from the planet in 2040. One can only imagine if the United States was looking at being completely submerged underwater in 19 years, what level of action might we be taking? There was also uh, some headlines on the Middle East. There was a great uh, article called Apocalypse Soon, Reluctant Middle East is forced to open their eyes to the climate crisis. The Middle East, a lot of the regimes and monarchies and ruling families and dynasties are in place specifically because of oil revenues, and they cannot stop. So this has become a very difficult pinch point for them. Another interesting headline last week talked about streaming's dirty secrets. Streaming online, how viewing Netflix's top 10 shows and movies creates vast quantities of CO2. Head to the Climate Report Facebook page if you'd like to find that article. How viewing Netflix and their most popular films and how much CO2 is released as a result of that. There is another great interesting article. Headline says, Bee colonies have collapsed across the U.S., but one company has developed a high-tech solution. It's an interesting article how they use GPS and all sorts of sensors and digital data to monitor a hive and predict what might be happening so that people could stay ahead of any health issues. And they're having quite a lot of success. Then speaking of uh, disappointing national contributions, Australia was lambasted quite a bit in the headlines because I'm not sure if you have heard, but Australia is very, very far behind in the climate crisis. They are very dependent on coal And their government is um, not really interested in staying ahead of the pack when it comes to climate promises. It says here a headline that Australia's 2050 net zero emissions plan relies on, quote, gross manipulation of data, according to experts. Another headline says Australia has trashed the Paris Agreement and exposed itself as the worst kind of climate hypocrite. For Australia. Most of the headlines were quite negative throughout the COP26. Also getting a lot of headline time was capitalism and the approach that capitalism is taking to the climate crisis. One headline says capitalism is killing the planet. It's time to stop buying into our own destruction. And uh, it also talks about, there are a lot of headlines talking about, we'll dip into this a little bit later, about how the COP26 was unfortunately perhaps the whitest and most privileged COP conference of parties ever, according to various activists and participants. The Afghanistan delegation, uh, who were Afghans that had fled when the Taliban came into power and are living in hiding, They applied to be part of the COP26 in order to make sure that Afghanistan still remained part of the world conversation on climate change, even in the midst of turmoil. And the headline says that the Afghans had their COP26 delegate applications rejected just days before the event, with no explanation why. Well, from the activist perspective, A lot of the headlines were talking about the energizing that they felt as a movement. It's the protests which are giving me hope, was one headline as activists descended on Glasgow. We'll talk a little bit later about people who actually walked to the event. There's another great headline from Professor Peter Stott. He's saying denialists of the climate crisis question the cost of climate action, but doing nothing costs far more. And that was also a common theme throughout the COP26, that if we do nothing and complain that it's expensive to do something, it's actually going to be more expensive to not do anything. This is scientific and economic research's conclusion. In other headlines, there is also a great article in The Guardian that talked about the last 50 years and 25 COPs, the Conference of Parties, the slow motion movement to save the planet, where they actually traced the history going back to 1972, the earliest summits on the earth globally and its health, followed by 20 years later, 1992, the Rio de Janeiro summit. And from there, the Conference of Parties began. Excellent article on the history. And then two or three more headlines before we're going to pause, take a little bit deeper look into a few other headlines. There are also plenty of reasons to be hopeful. The climate solutions available now was one headline. Another headline says humanity is not trapped in a deadly game with the earth. There are ways out. Plenty of information about that. And we seek to also highlight the different ways that humanity are making steps forward here on the Climate Report. But lastly, one of the most interesting quick headlines before we dip into a few more Eco-anxiety over the climate crisis is being suffered by all ages and classes, according to the latest report. That's right. Eco-anxiety over the climate crisis and the future of the world and humanity is not something that can be stratified by either age or class, according to the latest research, regardless of how young or old you are, whether you're considered poor or wealthy, eco-anxiety is now shared all across the human spectrum. We'll be right back after a short pause. We're going to dip in a little bit farther with some of our climate headlines. Climate report on KVMR FM, and now it's time to take a little bit deeper look into some headlines. The climate crisis is real, but you wouldn't know it from watching Fox Weather. The new sister channel of climate denialist Fox News isn't following suit, it's just avoiding the subject altogether. It says when Fox News media announced plans for a 24 hour weather channel, the company could hardly have predicted. It would debut in a week, marked by a bomb cyclone, several tornadoes, and severe flooding across the Northeast. Yet that's exactly what happened when Fox Weather launched last month. to much fanfare from its owners, but to serious trepidation from people concerned that the Weather Channel could match the infamous climate change skepticism of its sister channel, Fox News. Matter of fact, one headline in the New Republic last month said Fox Weather doesn't deny climate change, they just ignore it. To be fair, a side-by-side analysis of the midday output of the official Weather Channel, seen as the gold standard of live meteorological news, yielded similar results. Neither channel is devoted to the broader topic of weather and climate exactly. Instead, They play out more as weather dramas where breaking events are covered breathlessly in the moment with little time for reflection. Another headline, politicians talk about net zero, but not the sacrifices we must make to get there. Too few leaders will arrive at COP26 bearing any mandate for serious climate action because hardly any of them have tried to get one. On both the center-left and center-right of politics in Europe and North America, there is superficial recognition of the hard yards required to do something about the climate emergency, but so far, an aversion to thinking about the huge changes to everyday life that will be necessary. In another common theme that we want to continue to highlight here, one headline said the West Caused the climate crisis, it should now pay to clean up the mess. At COP26, a plan is urgently needed that will allow Africa to develop as well as adapt to global heating. This article was focusing on Africa and said Africa has done little to create the climate crisis. Yet the locust plagues in the Horn of Africa, the first climate change famine in Madagascar, and the water crises in southern Africa are all evidence. That my continent is already paying the price of others' emissions. The fund that some would like diminished is not charity to us, but a cleaning fee that must be paid. I thought that was a fascinating way to think about it. Because, of course, when it comes to the developed countries and how we've polluted the rest of the world, it's almost like polluting a neighbor's property and then saying that you'll loan them money at interest in order for them to get out from under it. In many cases, the poorer countries are saying, you made the mess, you clean it up, you're not going to put us into debt. Interesting article that you can also find on our social media page. In other news, recapping what is happening now with the climate over the last year as the entire globe has been rattled, the United Nations said, we are in uncharted territory for the world's climate. Expanding further, it says the climate crisis has driven the planet into uncharted territory with far-reaching repercussions for today's and future generations, according to the UN World Meteorological Organization. The WMO's State of the Global Climate report shows that the last seven years have been the hottest seven years ever on scientific record, and that accelerating sea level rise hit new heights this year in 2021. Said Professor Petteri Talas, the WMO Secretary General, it rained rather than snowed for the first time ever on record at the peak of the Greenland ice sheet. A heat wave in Canada and parts of the U.S. pushed temperatures to nearly 50 degrees Celsius in a village in British Columbia, and the exceptional heat was often accompanied by devastating fires. He said months worth of rainfall fell in the space of hours in China. And parts of Europe saw severe flooding, leading to dozens of casualties and billions in economic losses. A second year of drought in subtropical South America reduced the flow of mighty river basins there and hit agriculture as well as transportation and South America's energy production. Well, UN reports have also found that the action plans of the world's nations so far leave the planet still facing a catastrophic 2.7 Celsius degrees of heating. Emissions currently are on track to be 16% higher in 2030 rather than 45% lower, which is the cut that science shows is required. We promised to talk about some of the activists that were using alternative methods to get to the Glasgow conference, even if they were just going to be protesting outside, and they were some of the most fun and happiest stories, actually. This one has a headline out of The Guardian. It says, they would walk 500 miles, meet the COP26 pilgrims who got to Glasgow on foot. Accompanied by songs, stories, and a stash of lentils, a group trekked from London, connecting with their faith, the countryside, and the people they met along the way. A snippet from the article says, while most delegates deliberate about whether to drive, fly, or catch the train to the COP26 summit in Glasgow, a dozen or so pilgrims have just spent the past 55 days getting there on foot from London. Members of the female-run faith group Camino to COP26 have been walking a 500-mile route since early September. Theirs is just one of a number of pilgrimages reaching Glasgow this weekend, with about 250 individuals expected, some coming from as far as Poland and Germany. One group has walked more than 1,000 miles from Sweden. Extinction Rebellion Scotland says that their arrival will mark the opening ceremony for nonviolent protests planned in the Scottish city and around the world during the UN climate talks. From 18-year-old students to 74-year-old grandmothers, members of Camino to COP26, which which is part of Extinction Rebellion, have been raising awareness about the climate and ecological crisis along the way. On some days, they had 70 people walking with them. The group spent nights sleeping on the floors of churches, village halls, and community centers, raising 17,000 pounds to cover their costs, with any additional money going to support the work of climate activists in developing countries. Wandering monk-like from place to place and surviving off the hospitality of local people is an ancient activity, in this case with a modern spin. The group's support vehicle was an electric van packed full of lentils and rice. Well, just to piggyback again on the beating up of poor Australia, here's just a quick headline and a a sub-headline from it. Morrison, for those who aren't familiar, Scott Morrison um, is the gentleman at the top of the government there in Australia. Morrison government climate plan will fail if solely reliant on technology, a think tank reports. The Grattan Institute says that subsidies to cut 500 million tons of CO2 a year is, quote, beyond comprehension. And just know that that's also a common theme of analysis of a lot of developed countries' plans for the climate is it's heavily reliant on technology that either doesn't exist or has its own issues along the way. Well, here's a great interesting article about um, world polling on do people actually care about the climate? COP26, the polling data is overwhelming. People want leaders to act. An analysis shows polls from around the world show clear mandate for dramatic action to tackle the climate crisis. It says the world's nations meeting at the COP26 summit in Glasgow are tasked with dramatically ramping up action to tackle the climate emergency. But do their citizens back them? And does the UK as host have a strong public mandate to act? The evidence from dozens of recent opinion polls is overwhelming. Yes. So Who is worried? The answer, most people everywhere. The biggest ever opinion poll on climate change for the UN development program found two-thirds around the world saying it is a global emergency. Across 50 different countries that they polled, a majority in every single one agreed. Both the young and the old agreed. 69% of those 14 to 18-year-old and 58% of those over 60, indicating there is not a huge generational divide. Another large poll for the BBC showed most people across 31 nations, 56% of people want their governments to set stronger targets to address climate change as quickly as possible, with 36% backing more gradual action and 8% opposing action. But 56% want urgent action. This is an interesting headline that I thought would be really helpful to bring to the airwaves because there's an awful lot of talk about immigration and our southern border. And in many cases, we're talking about climate change, whether we know it or not, throughout our daily lives and throughout the news cycle. This was an interesting article about what's happening in Guatemala. The headline says, So many have gone. Storms and drought drive. Guatemalans to the U.S. border. The climate crisis has made life in many villages more precarious, leading some to risk joining an exodus. An extract from it says For the indigenous Maya Chorti people of La Union in eastern Guatemala, the daily struggle for water involves catching every drop of rain that drips from sloping metal roofs and walking long distances to fill plastic containers from overused streams. In this parched region, communities rely on rainfall to feed their families. And in 2019, they worked together to build water reservoirs high in the mountains in order to better cope with increasingly frequent droughts and unpredictable rains, which caused their maize and bean crops to fail. But the following year brought the opposite problem after years without enough rain, two powerful hurricanes, Eda and Iota, struck within a fortnight of each other, causing flash floods and landslides that left dozens of people trapped in partially collapsed houses. Well, Guatemala is one of five Latin American nations, along with Honduras, Nicaragua, Colombia, and Haiti. They've been identified among the 11 countries most at risk from climate chaos, simply due to two things, a combination of geography and poor governance. This is according to a recent U.S. government report on climate and global insecurity. Guatemala has contributed very little to greenhouse gas emissions, but its people are suffering acutely from their impact. In our last segment, we're going to highlight a couple personal stories. One is an interview between Emma Patti, who came up with the idea of the climate shadow to replace the climate footprint. She interviewed Catherine Hayhoe, famous climate scientist, who is now chief scientist for the nonprofit Nature Conservancy. The challenge that uh, Emma Patti said is, that we have no good way to conceptualize our impact as individuals. That's why she came up with the concept of a climate shadow to try to help visualize how the sum of our life choices influences the climate emergency, to measure hard to measure things. She says your shadow includes the car you drive, what you eat, it's also about where you work, how you engage in the workplace, where you invest your money, and how much you even talk about the climate. We're gonna highlight a couple of the questions and answers in the interview, and then feel free to visit, visit our Climate Report social media page to see more. One question says there's an ongoing debate about individual responsibility versus corporate responsibility when it comes to carbon emissions and the climate crisis. A lot of people feel as if there's nothing they can do to make a difference. We're just individuals, and yet corporations are made up of individuals. Catherine Hayhoe replied, absolutely. I mean, look at the climate strikes at Amazon. That really shows the power of individual people using their voices. When you look at how change has happened before with Corporations, with governments, with cities, it's because one or two or three or four people began by using their voice. And typically, they were not the people at the top. Everybody has a voice and wherever you work or live, you have the ability to use your voice. Another question was, your recent book called Saving Us is focused on hope and fighting hopelessness. And it does seem that if we want to tackle that hopelessness, the most important thing we can do is empower people within their corporate and political and community groups. Can you speak to that? Catherine Hayhoe said, Somehow we see corporations as not being made up of people, but they are made up of people. Every big organization is made up of people. In some corporations, the leadership is aware of the problem, but they're not sure what to do. And in some cases, they would make a change, but people just haven't called for it. We often have the image of corporations being completely immovable, but they're made up of people who want to do the right thing. Even in the fossil fuel industry, there are people at those corporations who want to do the right thing. To close today's climate report, throughout the 2021 COP26 Climate Change Conference, The Guardian was publishing the stories of individuals around the world whose lives have been affected by the climate breakdown. It was a series of short pieces called living on the front line of global heating and anyone around the world could submit something and have it published and Amy Ferrier from Nevada City had hers published and I'd like to read a little bit of it and see if it resonates with you if you're a local listener she says here in the Sierra Nevada foothills in California our community is quickly becoming far more firewise out of necessity the changes that our home and lifestyle have undergone are numerous from the serious and scary to the small habits that are starting to feel routine. Homeowner's insurance is becoming extremely hard to have and keep, for example, and the prices are skyrocketing. Our emergency go bag now remains packed year-round, and when wind events are especially severe or we're under a red flag warning, we take the extra step of leaving our boots, headlamps, and coats right next to the door in case we have to evacuate quickly overnight. We seldom leave town anymore during the months of August, September, and October. We prefer being at home to run irrigation, defend the house, and help our friends when fires strike. And the anxiety of leaving can outweigh the pleasure of vacationing. We also try to never let the gas tanks fall below 50% full during fire season. I recently heard a neighbor say half a tank is an empty tank. And a lot of us who witnessed the harrowing bottlenecks of traffic and other large California fires learned how critical it is to leave early and have plenty of fuel in the tank. We have a homemade list on our fridge with three columns, no time, 10 minutes, and 30 minutes. Whenever we have time to evacuate, we run and grab the list. It's infinitely helpful to refer to in stressful moments. Each column has a list of what must be done to safely leave the house, including shutting off the propane tank, turning on all-yard irrigation, checking on elderly neighbors, and moving any cars out of the driveway so that fire engines can pull through. My husband and I feel grateful that all we have really lost so far are unpaid days of canceled work, as well as weeks shut into our house when the air quality index was at hazardous levels in the high hundreds. There is also the heavy grief that many of us in affected regions feel when special and sacred places burn, friends and strangers are displaced, animals perish, and the sun is an eerie blood red in the sky. It's jarring and sad watching precious things being lost in real time. The upshots, though, are true testaments to our community, neighbors checking on neighbors, friends rushing to help evacuate livestock or chainsaw and rake and pack trucks, strangers opening up their homes and guest bedrooms, and people showing up to help without ever being asked. It's Amy Ferrier of Nevada City. You can find that link on our social media page. That's all for today's Climate Report broadcasting and podcasting here on KVMRFM and at kvmr.org every second and fourth Thursday at six thirty p.m. I'm Martin Webb. For more news and views in between broadcasts, there is also the Climate Report social media Facebook page with daily news updates. And for questions or comments, feel free to email climatereport at kvmr.org.